You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Some of you might not be old enough to remember a 1979 movie called um, And Justice for All. Uh, Al Pacino was in that movie. I don't, has anybody ever seen that movie, And Justice for All with Al Pacino? Uh, Yes, there was like one person in the first service as well. I'm sure maybe a couple of you guys have. There's a quote in the movie. Uh, it was came out in 1979. I saw it a few years later when I was a teenager. I was born in 69. And so I would have been 10 when it came out. So, But when I was a teen, I saw it. And, and I just remember how powerful the, that moment. The, the idea is that there's a guy who's the whole city is just convinced that they're going to tear him down, take him to prison. It's a big mass cover-up. And the attorney to defend this, this person who's becoming a victim of the system is Al Pacino. And there's a moment in the movie, it's the climactic uh, court scene of the movie, and, and it, the chaos breaks out in the court, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the attorney, the, the prosecuting attorney says something, then the, then the uh, um, then the judge upholds it, and Al Pacino stands up and he yells, I object, Your Honor. He's like angry, and he goes, sit down. I object. And he goes, sit down. He goes, you're out of order. And then Al Pacino says, no, you're out of order. You're out of order, and this whole court is out of order. Right? It's a powerful moment. Okay, now that you know that line, has anybody ever heard of that line other than George? Anybody else? All right. So if you had, oh, no, you're out of order and you're out of order. It's from that movie, 1979 and Justice for All. This is what's happening in Habakkuk right now. God is speaking and Habakkuk is saying, you're out of order to God, right? The, the language in Habakkuk is very judicial. God is making a decree and Habakkuk doesn't like it. And he's saying, God, you're out of order. And God is saying, oh, really? You're out of order. And he said, no, God, you're out of order. And it just kind of becomes this, this tension between Habakkuk and God, primarily in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Chapter 3, Habakkuk's attitude changes a little bit, and we'll get there next week. You have this, this, this confrontation between Habakkuk and God taking place. Habakkuk is one of 12 minor prophets in the Bible, called minor because their books are small. It's three chapters, four pages. You could read it in 20 minutes. You could ignore the sermon today and be done with it before the introduction's over. That's, that's how quick a read it is. Prophet, but before he was a prophet, he was a priest. And before he was a priest, he was a musician. Habakkuk, we don't know much about him, but we know he's a singer who's become a prophet. And now he's upset. And he asks God, why aren't you doing anything about all the pain and suffering in life? He says, God, you can see the culture. You can see the people. Society is winding down. The people of God seem to be ignoring you. And the culture becomes, is becoming wicked. God, when are you going to do something? How come you're silent? How come you're not saying anything? How come you're not doing anything? Habakkuk said this 600 years before Jesus Christ. And he's pretty upset that God seems to be quiet and not doing anything. And then God speaks. And what God says makes Habakkuk even more upset. Because God says, all right, I will give you an answer. The answer is this. I'm going to judge you with your enemy who is more evil than you. 
And Habakkuk was furious. God, how could you take in the enemy, someone who's vile and evil, and use them to discipline us? God, I don't understand that even more. Not only are you not doing anything about injustice, but what you are doing is unfair. That's chapter 1. Last week, we saw that we need to do what Habakkuk's name means, and that is his name means to embrace and wrestle. Let's take a look at what's happening in Habakkuk 1, and it's a lot of times what happens in our life. You have the starting point. That's the moment you give your life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, maybe maybe you're not a follower of Christ. This is what happens when you do. And maybe you've been here. You give your life to Christ, and boom, man, spiritual high. Man, God's word is, is making sense, and your, your prayers seem to be getting answered. And, man, you come into church, and it's just like every message is talking to you. It's just very very powerful moment. And you're like, this is awesome, man. God, being a Christian is great. And then all of a sudden, the worship isn't that great for you. It's not speaking to you as much anymore. And then the prayers that you're praying, they seem to be opposite or happening. And then all of a sudden you get fired or you get in an accident or you get a diagnosis or someone you love gets hurt. Or maybe you you sin and you make it, you have a big failure, and, you, and it's hard for you to recover from your failure, and you're just struggling. If God could really love you, and if you're really a Christian, and and what happens is you have a crisis of faith. You hit this wall of belief, and you're like, I don't know, God. I just like, I just I don't know. And what happens when we have that, and all of us have that. If you're if you're a Christian, and this is part of life, you hit that crisis of belief, and you have three options. You either will reject reality and and fake it till you make it. Just be positive while inside you're dying and you're shriveling up. And you you pretend to worship and you pretend to pray and you put on the smile face when you show up, but when you leave, you're still hurting. And so uh, you live in denial. Or for some, they go back to their old life. They say, you know what? It's just too hard. It's just not happening. God's not real. I can't live for God. And you go back to the start. But then Habakkuk presents to us a third option. And that third option in the dip is that you trust and you hold on. You dig in. You put your heels in and you do exactly what James, uh, the half-brother, Jesus says in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. It says, consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And you you realize if I could just dig in, if I could just push through, then maybe God is going to do something great in me. And you persevere. And then you find yourself growing again. And you find yourself at a place that's healthy again. And that dip, which is what's happening in Habakkuk, because where a lot of you are right now, that's the season of wondering, God, where are you? God, what's happening? God, how come my prayers aren't being answered? How come I keep getting sick? How come I can't get rid of this chronic pain? And it's a deep place of wondering, and that's where Habakkuk is. And for some of you, that's what, that's what you're doing. That's where you're at. Habakkuk, his response is, is do the Habakkuk. That's what we talked about in, verse, in, a, in chapter 1 last week. Do the Habakkuk. What's the Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk's name means to hold on and wrestle. To hold on and wrestle. And Habakkuk's challenge is this. Hold on to God. Just hold on. And wrestle with God for a while. 
wrestle with the questions, be honest with the questions, uh, be transparent, be real with God and with others. Wrestle with it, that struggle, that doubt, that frustration, that anger. Wrestle with it, but hold on. Do the Habakkuk. And that's the challenge of Habakkuk 1. But there's still more that he has to face in chapter 2. Because he's still frustrated and he's still saying to God, I'm holding on, but God, this doesn't seem right. So what do you do when you're in chapter one? What do you do when you're in the dip? Well, in chapter two, we learn what Habakkuk did in the dip. And this is what he did. God gave him an answer. He didn't like the answer. So this is what he did in response. And I love this. And this is a challenge to some of you that are in the dip right now. Is The first thing is this. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to do the whole chapter today. Habakkuk 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, I, this is Habakkuk's response. God says, um, you don't like my answer, but I'm going to use people more wicked than you to punish and discipline you. And God's like, this is what I'm going to do. It's coming your way. Things are going to get worse. Habakkuk's response was, I will stand at my watch, that means where I'm supposed to be, on that post, on that, on that wall, and I will station myself on the ramparts. He says, I will prepare myself for whatever comes. The point is this, I'm going to watch. There's a war, he goes, and I'm prepared, and I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. When you're in the dip, the first thing you need to do is stand. You need to stand. That means be faithful. You need to be faithful. Habakkuk says, I will not run away. I will not retreat. I will not disappear into the woods. I will not run away from the pain and suffering that is about to come our way as a community and as a people. I will not fall out. I will not disappear. I will stand in my position. I will be where I'm supposed to be and I will not move. I will be faithful and I will stand here no matter what comes my way. Listen, a lot of times when, when life gets tough, the first thing we do is recoil. The first thing we tend to do is drop out. Our, our first response is to run away. I see it all the time. You hit a wall. And all of a sudden, I don't see you. All of a sudden, you drop out of church and out of your small group and, and you stop serving or you just don't show up. And it's like, what's that? You've hit a wall. I know it. You, you've hit a crisis of belief. Either, either you've allowed busyness to take over your life and, and you haven't kept the priorities of your faith in line to help you grow or you've hit a spiritual wall. And we need to do what Habakkuk says, and we just need to be faithful. We need to press in. We need to stand strong, not disappear, but we need to be present. And then he says this, the second part is in that same verse. He says, he says I will stand my watch. I will station myself. I will be where I'm supposed to be, the second part, and I will, I will look to see what God, what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Whose complaint? His complaint. He's saying, listen, God... I know what you've said, and I've complained about it. Now I'm just going to listen to what you have to say about my complaint. This is the second thing you need to do when you're in the dip. You need to stand. You need to be faithful. The second thing, you need to listen. You need to listen to what God has to say. Many of us, we never stop to listen. We just complain. We just complain about our marriage or about our school or about our job or about our life or about our money or about our health. And we just complain and we complain and complain. And we're, we're just never stopping. 
Habakkuk says, you know what? I've done enough complaining. Now it's time to be quiet. It's important to ask God questions. You need to ask God those questions. But after you ask, there's a time to shut up and listen and be ready for the answer that God gives you. How does he speak? Well, I will tell you this. God rarely speaks at the foot of your bed with an angel glowing, saying, this is what the Lord says. Rarely does God speak with an audible voice telling you clearly what you need to do or what the answer is. Most often he speaks through his word. And he'll speak to you in your spirit, confirming it with the word. And he will speak to you through your circumstances. And he will speak to you through people. And he'll speak to you sometimes in silence by not speaking at all. See, God is a God who speaks. And if you will listen, you might just hear something. Some of us, we, we are so busy, we're, life is so full, all we have time enough to do is to complain in our prayer life. Habakkuk says, man, I won't, I won't recoil, I won't go back, I won't, I won't surrender, I won't hide, I will stand, I will be faithful, and I will listen. I will listen to whatever you have to say, God. And honestly, sometimes what he says is not something that we want to hear, but Habakkuk says it, but I will still hear it. I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was, was uh, an incredible person. He wrote a third of the New Testament. And there was a, a part in the Bible where it says that he prayed three times for what he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh is. We don't know if it was a person or if it was a physical ailment. I tend to believe that that thorn in the flesh was a literal physical ailment that he struggled with that he was praying for healing for. He prayed many, many times for healing three times specifically, and God did not touch him or heal him. Now, just to kind of let you know what kind of person Paul is, he's the guy that when people would walk through his shadow, they would be healed. He's the guy in the Bible that says he would send a piece of a handkerchief to people and they would receive that handkerchief and they would use that point of contact and be healed. This is the kind of person who did miracles in the name of Jesus, saw people healed, recovered, and rise up from the bed. But yet when he prays, God, help me, heal me, touch me, I need you, God says, no, I have another plan. I'm going to let you endure this. And Paul says that it's in that strength that comes only from God that he's finding his strength in in, in the ability to stand strong. And he, the Bible, he said it this way. He said, I found that in my weakness, he is made strong. And therefore, I'm at my strongest in my weakest moments. It's only in that weakness. God says, I'm going to give you this thorn. I'm going to let you keep it to keep you humble and to keep your eyes focused on me. He didn't like the answer. Sometimes when you don't understand, when you're in the dip, you just have to stop and listen and hold on. The third thing is this, Habakkuk says this in verse 2, chapter 2, he says, then the Lord replied, he says, he says, write this down. He says, write down, the Lord replied, the revelation. The word there is chazon. Everybody say chazon. I like that word, it's a chazon. Turn to your neighbor, say chazon. If you spit on him, you said it right. <laughs> chazon, all right? He says, write down the chazon. That means write down this, this vision, something you can't see, that in my name, if you believe what happened, even though you can't see it, write down this chazon, make it plain on tablets. That means write it down, grab a pen, take notes. 
Here's my response. Make it simple. That means make it plain on topics. means don't make it complex. Don't add commentary. Don't, don't add your opinion. Just write down what I'm about to say. Make it simple. And he says, so that a herald, that means someone who will read it and take it to somebody else to read and read it again and pass it on and read it again. It says, so that a herald may run with it. That means that I'm going to have you write something down. Keep it simple because this is going to be read by a lot of people. And there should be no misunderstanding about what it says. So keep it simple, write it in such a way that when it's read, it will be clearly understood and there'll be no confusion about what it means. By the way, God's not trying to confuse you. All right, some of you are like, just so many choices, God, what are you saying, trying to test me? God's not trying to confuse you. Here's the third thing. Not only do you stand, not only do you listen, the third thing, he says, you need to remember. He says, Write this down, remember this, record it, hold it on, uh, hold on to it. Write this down because I want it from the paper onto your heart. Why would God want us to write down what he puts on our heart? Well, there's two reasons. I believe he writes it, he wants you to write it down for the I told you so moments. Basically, he's saying to Habakkuk, for example, he says, years from now, when I prove myself just and faithful, you'll be able to say, See, God said it, and God will say, I told you so. I told you I would do it. I told you. So I believe God wants us to write down the I told you so moments for his glory, and the second, for our benefit. For our benefit. Because when God speaks to you, the first thing the enemy will try to do is try to rob and steal from you what God says to you. He will try to steal that seed of hope that is planted in your heart. I think about like when I go grocery shopping, I, I need to write it down. I have this app, I have a note app on my phone that, that I need to, that I make a list of what I need. Because when I get there, you know what I do when I walk in? I'm like, ah, oh, sushi, that's going in the basket. If I'm at Kroger, because it's right there in the front. And then I make my way through the bakery, and I'm like, donuts. Every time I go to the grocery store, I'm probably gonna bring back some donuts. I like donuts. I love donuts. Uh, one day, when, when you're celebrating my life and I've gone on to the next, have donuts. <laughs> That'd be great. I love the little round, waxy chocolate ones. They're amazing. You put them in the refrigerator when you take a bite, and you dip it in the milk, it's like an explosion of chocolate and milk and cake. <laughs> Even now, I'm distracted. And then I walk down the aisle and I'm like, oh, Little Debbie food snacks, oatmeal cream pies. I could eat a whole box of those things. And you get the small ones. So they're not really a cookie. They're just snacks. So you can have a, a box for a snack, right? I love, so it's good that I have a list because otherwise I'm coming home with stuff that is just pulling me around. God says, listen, you're prone to distractions. Write it down. And I think of it like this way. You hear from God. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this is good stuff. Man, I'm feeling encouraged. I'm feeling hope. I'm feeling, man, I want to hold on. And you're feeling like, man, God's talking to me and speaking to you. And God is speaking to you on Sunday. And then tomorrow comes, you're like, you know, you didn't write it down. And so, uh, you know, you're thinking maybe even an hour later, maybe you go to lunch and you're, you, all of a sudden it's tonight and you're like, you're starting to feel sad again, starting to feel depressed again. And you're like, well, I'm just going to binge watch Netflix and maybe it'll all go away. And it doesn't go away. And then you wake up on Monday, and, and Sunday you believe that God was speaking to you, but now it's Monday, and you're like, maybe I believe it. 
And then three days later, it's like, I kind of even don't even remember what it was said, but I believe it was positive and good. And then maybe a week later, you think, well, maybe it was just emotions. Maybe I was just hungry. Maybe, maybe it wasn't even that good. And, and all of a sudden you go on in the cycle of depression and sadness and hopelessness and anger and frustration cycles again and again. And it all really comes down to sometimes is you're not writing it down to remember it. You're not putting it in your heart. You're not writing it on paper so that it makes its way to the tablet of your heart. And God says to Habakkuk, he says, write this down because I, I want it to be shared and I want you to remember this forever. I want you to remember this. Because when you write it down, it becomes a spiritual anchor to remind you. I think the Old Testament prophets, a lot of people are like, man, I wish it was like it was back in the days of Elijah. Man, he's considered one of the great prophets of, greatest prophets of the Old Testament next to Moses, Elijah, and Isaiah. Elijah is one of the greats. And guys like Elijah and Isaiah, and we think, man, these guys, I wish it was like that. Do you really? Because they only heard God about once every 10 to 20 years. They didn't walk with God the way you have the opportunity to walk with God. What made them great men of faith, because they would have an encounter with God, God would speak, they would write it down, and then they would go almost half their life without hearing God's voice again. And all they had was what they wrote down. And they hung their whole life on what was written down. And that was the faith that they walked out. You don't want to go back to those days. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the opportunity to talk to God right now, to hear his voice right now, to talk to him right now, and to hear him right now. You don't have to go your whole life. Thank God for that. And we also now have the word of God that speaks to us faithfully, his, his heart and his passions, his desires and his guidance in our life. We think, man, these guys in the Old Testament, that's what I want it to be like. No, you don't. But I, I respect, and man, I look to their faith as models of faith for our life. But the reality is God wants us to remember what he says, to hold on to it, because there'll be seasons when we're not hearing him that much. So he says, write it down so that you can remember. I think of our church in 2006, we moved out of a movie theater in Garland and moved into a movie theater in Garland. <laughs> we moved from one down on Beltline to AMC movie theater across the street. We moved into the AMC 30 days after they opened up. So we were there like one month after they very first became a movie theater. We were there for 11 years. In 2007, we were like, man, are we sure we want to be in a theater? And then God just said, hey, we are a theater church. This is our DNA. The, and God said, just plant yourself, embrace where you are, and, and, and enjoy the benefits of being at a church that is making a difference and changing the way that people view church, and it's reaching those that don't normally come to church. So we embraced it, and we lived that, and we loved it. But in 2009, when I was going through my chemotherapy, God began to put in my heart a place called The Vive. And in 2010, I shared it with our church. And we had a name for it. It was called The Vive. And in 2010, I shared with our church that God put on our heart that one day, when God opens up that opportunity and says it's now, that God would put in our heart a venue and a coffee shop that would be a bridge to the community for hope. And that was 2010. 
and we talked about the vibe. And in 2011, I cast that at our church, of the uh, state of the church in January and in July. And I talked about it in 2012. And then I talked about it in 2013. And I talked about it in 2014. And I talked about it in 2015. And I begin to doubt, God, is this never going to happen? This is never going to happen. Most of the people in our church were wondering if it was ever going to happen. I had people on our own leadership team that said it was never going to happen. But you know what I did? I went back to my notes to 2009 when God put it in my heart. And I look back to my sermon notes in 2010 when I began to first share it. And then I look back at all my, my meetings with our team and with our leaders where I said it. And I'm like, God, you said it. And I'm going to hang on to this. And 2014 passed. And 2015 passed. And 2016 passed. And in September 2017 we opened up the Vive. And we're here. And this is a venue. And in two weeks to three weeks, we're about to open up a coffee shop. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And I, waited. I just, all I had was to look back at what I wrote down, what I knew God had put on my heart. And here we are. Here we are. So he says, Stand. Listen and remember. This is why God gives us his word, because sometimes when you can't hear it, you'll hear him here. When you don't believe that God heals and does miracles, well, you'll know that he does here. When you feel like God's not answering prayers, you know that he still does here. When you feel like you're not getting guidance, you can get it here. This is why God had the prophets and the teachers and the writers and the apostles write down the word of God so that you could remember it in those moments of the dip. And here's the fourth thing. What do you do? You stop, you listen, you remember, and you wait. This is painful. For me, <laughs> that waiting, that little moment seemed like an eternity. Waiting is hard. I'm a very hyperactive person. You guys are laughing because you know. I'm a very hyperactive person. I, I'm always moving. I'm always wringing my hand or shaking my leg or doing something. I just have this energy that just... Oh, and silence is something that I've had to grow into because it's only in the silence, it's only in that waiting that I can hear. And then sometimes after I hear, it's just silence and I just have to wait. We like the instant answers. We like the microwave ready in two minutes or less. We like the drive-throughs. We like our fast food. And even when we go to a sit down, we expect our meal in about 10 to 12 minutes. If not, something's going on in the kitchen and we want to know why. <laughs> because we are fast. We don't like waiting. How many of you feel like God's ever been working on you with patience? And if you didn't raise your hand, you are a liar. <laughs> and every time we feel like, oh, I'm so glad I've learned patience. God, no more. I've, I, and God said, well, let's put it to the test. Let's give you, ha <laughs> I still haven't learned it, right? Because waiting is, is part of God's plan. And this is what he says to Habakkuk in verse 3. He says, write down this chazon, this revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald can run with it. 
And then here's number four. He says, for the revelation of the chazon awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will be legend. Wait for it. Dairy. It will certainly come and will not delay. He said, wait for it. Wait for it. God says, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Dairy. He said, but there's a time when it will happen. When God promises something, you may have to wait, but he will do it. What do you do when you're in the dip? Well, most of the time it's waiting. Most of the time it's just holding on and waiting. You know, this message titled is www.godwhereareyou.com on. <laughs> and the www stands for waiting, waiting, waiting. Waiting, 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 godwhereareyou.com on. We don't like this whole waiting part. When God has promised something, it will come to pass. Remember this, God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God says uh, it's coming and just sit tight and wait, it doesn't mean it's a no. It could mean just wait. You know, when we sat on that vision from 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and even when we moved in in 2017, it's 2019 before we're even launching that coffee shop. That's two years more of waiting. We got 10 years passed before we began to see this third phase of this vision launch out. There's a lot of waiting when it comes to trusting in God's promises. You believe God, you record it, then you wait. I think of Moses. Moses is called by God and he says, you're going to deliver the people out of Israel and they're going to rebuild a nation. They're going to, they're going to launch a nation. And so God uses Moses to deliver him and then they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness before that nation is ever launched. But wait for it, it came. God brings it to pass. Or I think of Joseph, who as a young man, as a teenager, begins to get a dream for, for leadership. And he, he gets a dream that he'll be a leader of leaders. And then he shares it with his family. And then his brothers love him so much that they beat him to a pulp, throw him in a pit, and sell him as a, as a slave. And they send him off to Egypt. And he goes from the pit to the prison, and he's like, God, you said I would be a leader of leaders, and now I'm in prison. I'm in this terrible situation. God says, just wait for it. Just wait for it. And God brought it to pass. Years later, that promise became fulfillment as God took him from the pit to the prison to the palace where he became a leader of leaders and changed the world. And I even think of the apostle Paul. This is a man who... who the moment he was saved, God said, I've called you to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to be the one who will bring the voice of the Lord to the Gentiles. He said that the day he gave his life to Jesus, but yet it was 13 years before Paul ever went on his first missionary trip outside of Israel and his hometown of Tarsus. 13 years. God said, just wait for it. It's going to happen. See, there's a lot of waiting when it comes to God's purpose and plan. So here we are, just waiting. Some of you think that waiting means no movement. You know what a waiter is? What's a waiter do? They serve. The primary role of a waiter or a waitress is to wait 
and serve the people that they're waiting on. The challenge for us, you are in a season of waiting. God is saying, hey, it's time to be a waiter and waitress and serve the Lord. It's not a place of no movement where you just sit and wait until you hear go. God says, no, you're here, wait and serve me by serving the kingdom of God, by serving my people, by serving me. When you don't understand, be faithful, listen, wait, and serve God. Look at Habakkuk 2.3 again. It says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. The, the word there is moed, which means a fixed time, means it will happen and it will come. And I think of uh, when um, women uh, are pregnant and their baby's ready to come. And I, and I think of when Summer, our second daughter, um, uh, when her arrival came. We went to the doctors and uh, our, our doctor had, was there, delivered our first girl and it was awesome and he loved us. We loved him and he was so excited and pumped and he was, man, he, he really looked forward to being a part of that moment in people's lives and families. And so he says, you got plenty of time. We got there in the morning. She's going to labor. You got plenty of time. He goes, I'm going to go over and do some work. It'll probably be this afternoon when, when summer shows up. So he goes across the street, down the street, to his office, and all of a sudden, in 15 minutes, summer's coming. The time had arrived. The appointed time had showed up, and there was no delay. And there was no stopping it, and there was no halting it, or, or you know, once it began, it was ready. And so he runs out of his office, and he says he's literally running down the street, running, a, he, I see our doctor in his white coat just running down the street. He's at Baylor Hospital. I knew, we knew where his office was because that's where we went for all the appointments uh, for Nicole. And he runs down and he runs in and he gets in the room and Summer's being held by a nurse already. And he missed it, missed the whole thing. I didn't, I was there. <laughs> I didn't go get a burger. Had it been a little bit longer, I might have. Went and got some donuts or something. But the baby was there, and he's like, oh, because you know when the appointed time comes, there's no delay. That's what that word there, Moad, means. It says, for the uh, revelation awaits an appointed time. You can't speed it up. You can't slow it down. When it's time, it's time. With Habakkuk, most of the people alive didn't even see God's fulfillment of the promise it happened the next generation, but God's promise was fulfilled at its appointed time. Look at this reread of, of Habakkuk 2, verse 3 in the Living Bible. It says, it says, these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. What a cool translation of that verse. God says, Habakkuk, listen, take notes and wait. Don't worry, the Babylonians will get what's coming. Because that was one of Habakkuk's biggest issues with God. God, how could you bless these evil people? Where's the judgment and justice upon those that are more evil than us? God, where are you in the middle of this? And God says, just... Hold on a second there, buddy. It's coming for them too. And what he's about to do in the rest of Habakkuk 2 is unleash a series of woes upon the Habakkuk, upon the Babylonians. And he says, write this down. 
Because yes, I'm going to use them to discipline you, but their day is coming too. I think of like when you're a kid and your mom says, wait till your dad gets home. And you're like having to wait all day and like this terrible tension and worry. Because you know when dad gets home, you're going to get a little tanner on the hide. You might get a little bit more discipline, a little bit more, you know, uh, power behind that discipline action. And so there's sometimes there's that anxiety. Oh, dad's coming home. Dad's coming home. This is what God's saying. Habakkuk, listen, I'm the father. I'll be home later. Tell them, get ready. Wait till dad's coming home uh, because this is what's going to happen when I get there. So this is what he says. Verse 4, we're going to read through this part really fast. Uh, because he gives us five woes, and, it's, and we're going to dive into it really quick. We're going to read through it really quick. So it says, see the enemy. That means Babylon, all right? They're all puffed up. That means they're arrogant. They think, man, nothing's ever going to happen to them. Some of you think that right now. And some of you think, man, you're, you're running from God. You're living in a way that, that you know doesn't honor God. And you're like, you know what? God's never going to do anything to me. It's just, man, everything keeps going my way. I just keep getting more money, just keep getting nicer things, just keep getting, you know, better things happening to me. It's a good life. And so your arrogance is, is, is perpetuating your, your attitude towards your lifestyle. And he says, he says, see the enemy, see the Babylonians, man, they're so arrogant. They think nothing's ever going to happen to them. He says, his desires are not upright. Whenever he uses the word his, he's talking to the whole nation of Babylon. Okay, this is a writing technique where he identifies a people group as a person. And so every time you see his or him, it's a relation to Babylon specific and also those in general who are arrogant about their sin. All right. So let's kind of look at it like that because that, well, that's how it is. He says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. We're going to come back to that. That's the key to the whole Bible. Verse five, indeed, wine betrays him. That means the Babylonians, man, they love to get drunk. Uh, he is arrogant, never at rest because he's as greedy as the grave. And like death, he's never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and take captives of all the people. He says, man, he says, they're so drunk, so arrogant. They just destroy and eat up more and more of this life. And they think there's no end, no consequences to their actions. And God says, hold on. Hold on, because judgment's coming. If you've ever seen Tombstone, anybody ever seen Tombstone? One of the greatest Westerns ever. There's that scene in the movie where they're walking down the street, the four of them. It's classic, kind of slow motion, right? And the fire behind them. The church is on fire behind them. And they're coming to face off with this enemy gang. And he says, and one of the, one of the characters, I love this. Uh, um, he says, I, I, believe, I believe it's... Uh, um, uh, Kurt Russell, the main character, uh, um, he says this, okay, he says, okay, you called down the thunder and now you got it. Tell them the law is coming. You tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. You hear hell's coming with me, right? You guys remember that line from the movie? Very powerful. And then they start walking down the street. It's cool. It's like, listen, Habakkuk saying, listen, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is is coming. You can't outlive the consequences of your sinful actions. Judgment is coming. So he says five woes. The woe, word woe means deep suffering. Literally, it means you wish you were never born. So whenever you hear woe to so-and-so, it means you're going to wish you never been born. All right? So this is what he says. Woe to him 
Babylon, or people who are arrogant about their sin. Woe to him who pile up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly rise up? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. And because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. That means you've wiped out and killed people and stole things from people. He says, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. He goes, but listen, they're going to rise up and they're coming after your blood. He says, woe to the thieves, for they will play in blood for everything they've ever taken from people. This is intense. They will pay in blood. Habakkuk 2.9, he says, Woe, you wish you'd never been born to those who build his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the walls will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. That means it will crumble down. The house of deception that you build will fall down on you. Woe to all the cheaters and deceivers. Painful punishment. The house that you built for yourself will crumble upon you. Verse 12, woe to him or those who build a city with bloodshed and establish a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You've heard that second part before. I've even heard that sung as a song. But what that verse means is woe to those who enslave and misuse others. Judgment will be coming upon them and the whole world will see it. That verse is about judgment upon the wicked. And what people will see is the fall of the wicked. He goes on to say this. He says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. He says, man, there are those that like to get people drunk just so that they can have sex with them or abuse them and take advantage of them. He says, you'll be filled with the same, uh, with the, with the, uh, you'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. Drink up because your secrets are out, is what he's saying. Uh, the cup of the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover you. I mean, you'll be, you'll be nakedly ashamed, and, and you'll have nothing to cover you except disgrace and shame. The violence you have done to Lebanon or to others will overwhelm you. And your destruction of animals will terrify the, you, your, your destructive attitude toward everything that lives. For you have shed human blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? He says, all those things that you put your trust in. He says, for the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols and cannot speak. He says, you put trust in yourself. You put trust in your, in your abilities, in your house in your money, in your position. He goes, those idols, they can't save you now. He says, woe to those perverted party people. The shame that you lack will bring disgrace and judgment and nothing that you have built up for yourself can save you. Then the last woe is this. He says, woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. And he says, Rhetorical question, can it give you guidance? The answer is no. It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. 
He says this, woe to those of you that worship anything other than me. Your trust in stuff will never save you when you're hurting, when you're in pain, and when you need help, and when your life is falling apart, you can't cry out to your possessions for help or to the idols of the people in your life. The real Lord is coming and they cannot save you. This is the challenge that, that God has given to Habakkuk. Says, yes, I'm going to use people more evil than you to discipline you. But listen, their day will come. The consequences of the evil will catch up to them. Some of you are trying to outlive and outrun the consequences of your destructive behavior in your life. God says, you can't run from me. And the things that you put your trust in cannot save you. He says, my word is good. And it will be legend, wait for it, dairy. It will happen. This applies to those of you who think you're living without consequence. The key to this whole book and to the whole Bible is verse 4 of Habakkuk 2. It says, see Babylon, that means the arrogant the, the, the enemy, those who think that they live without consequence, he says they're puffed up, they're arrogant, and their desires are not right. They're not upright. But the righteous will live by faith. See, many people consider this the key verse of not just Habakkuk, but the whole Bible. It's said many, many times in the Old Testament. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. And it's a heart of really everything that we believe in the scriptures. It's not by our actions. It's not by our efforts. It's not by our deeds. It's not by being a good person or going to church or doing all the right things by which we are made right with God. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It's only through faith that the righteous are made right in the eyes of God. See, there's wow-filled people and there's woe-filled people. The wow-filled people live for themselves. They're arrogant, they're puffed up, but the, that's the woe-filled people. But the wow-filled people, they live by faith. And they live in humble obedience to God, regardless of the circumstances. Take a look at this next slide. This is what it's about. When you're in the dip, the righteous live by faith. You trust with this Holy Spirit assurance that what you can't see is still there and that what God has promised will come to pass. And so you will stand and you will listen and you will remember and you will wait by faith. Most of our life is walking in faith. Every now and then we get these Mountaintop moments where it seems like everything's going great and we, we, we don't put a whole lot of action into our faith because it just seems to be like just coming at us like without even thinking about it. But most of our life is learning to walk by faith because that's how the righteous are called to live. But what happens when you're living by faith and you still don't see God's promise? The last verse, this one I want to end with, this is the last verse of chapter 2. Great verse. Three of the greatest words you'll ever hear. But the Lord. This is how he ends this chapter. He says, Habakkuk, listen. I know you're struggling. I know you're having a hard time reconciling what you see. It's not matching what you believe. 
And I know you may feel like what my actions are may seem unfair sometimes. But you have to trust me. And this is what Habakkuk says. He says, but the Lord, I love this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What's that mean? Habakkuk saying, I don't understand, but you're still in charge. God, you're still on the throne. I may not feel healed, but you're still on the throne. I may feel anxiety, but you're still on the throne. You're still king of all. You're still almighty. You're still in control. I think of when my mother died. Uh, Suddenly, when I was on a youth camp trip with our church, when my mother died and she went into a coma, but the Lord was still on the throne. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, but the Lord was still on the throne. And when my brother died at 42 years old, but the Lord was still on the throne. And when my father died shortly after that, but the Lord was still on the throne. And when we struggle financially to to make ends meet, and when we feel like we're hitting a wall in our church and in our life, but the Lord is still on the throne because the Lord is good. He's faithful and he's in control. And that verse says it all. Listen, he says, but the Lord is still in his holy temple. He hasn't left. He's still in control. He's still there. He's still there. And the second part is what happens. He says, so listen, let the earth be silent. Hush your mouth. Just enjoy the fact of that peace that comes with knowing he's in charge. Just rest. Embrace it. Hold your tongue. Be in silence before him. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, I don't know if the Lord's going to deliver us or not, but I know he's good. There's a story in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3. Maybe you've heard of Radchak, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow to the idols, so they were arrested. And they were to be thrown into this furnace, burned alive. And the king says, what's your God going to do to save you now? And they said this, well, we don't know if he's going to save us at all. We may die in that fire, but we know the Lord's on the throne. And whether we live or die, we're not going to bow. We're holding on to what we know to be true. Now, God did deliver them. But for every Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, there are thousands of believers that died in a furnace just like it. And to this day, there are still hundreds of thousands, millions over the course of 2,000 years that have died for their faith because they would not give up regardless of what happened. Because they held on. They stood, they listened, they remembered, and they waited. And God was faithful. So what are you going to do when you're in the dip? Well, stand, listen, remember, wait. In the face of that trial that you walk in, should always remind you that God is still on the throne. I want to pray for you right now. God, I thank you that you are on the throne. And Lord, I, I, first of all, God, I, I just pray for those that are waiting right now. Maybe they're in a season of chapter two and they're just, they're just waiting. And... Uh, God, I pray for the peace of God that surpasses understanding. We just come upon them right now as they hold on to you. 
as they embrace you, as they wrestle with it, but they hold on. God, I pray that they will stand strong, that they will not recoil, that they will not give up, that they will not give in, they will not go back to their old life or disappear, but God, they will stand strong, they will be faithful, they will press through, they will hold on, and God, they will listen. They will read your word, they will be encouraged. God, they will write down, write down the promises of God, keep them in front of them and hold on to them as they wait for your appointed time of deliverance. Maybe that's you right now and you're in a season of waiting. You just say, God, I teach me to wait. In your own words, just say, God, I'm waiting and I will hold on. I will white knuckle hold on to you, Jesus. Just say, God, I'm going to wait. I choose to wait. I will not retreat. I will wait. I will press through. I will hold on. In the wondering, I will wait. I will walk by faith, God. I will trust what I cannot see and know that, God, you are faithful because you are still on the throne. And I want to pray for those of you. Those of you, if that's you, just keep praying. Just keep talking talking to God about that. I want to pray for some of you in this room that you are trying to outrun your consequences. Like the Babylonians, you have this arrogance that, that the things that you do will never catch up to you. That lifestyle, that choice, that decision, that deception, those secrets that you're living, you think, man, I'm never going to catch up to you. God says, it's coming. It's coming. You can either address me as a friend and a forgiver, me as the judge but the choice is yours today you can choose today to live by faith in Jesus so if you're here right now and you have been trying to outrun the consequences of your sin now's the time to surrender that sin to Jesus Christ by faith and receive that forgiveness and walk in faith if that's you right now we just take a moment Forgive me of my sin. In your own words, say, God, forgive me of my sin. God, I've been arrogant. God, I've been prideful. God, humble me. God, humble me. I will follow you by faith. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. By faith, I am saved, and I will walk in this righteousness by Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.